from API. This is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. When most Americans hear the expression energy policy, they immediately think about U.S. energy policy and how it affects their lives. But it's also important to consider the fact that energy is a global commodity and decisions made by other countries also have a major impact on energy here at home. Mary Hutzler, Distinguished Senior Fellow at the Institute for Energy Research, has been looking into China's energy decisions, and her observations might raise some eyebrows here in the United States. Mary is on the phone with us now. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Jane. I appreciate being here. Oh, we're glad you could join us. First, please tell us what China is doing to ensure that it has energy for the future as part of its energy policy. The Chinese are doing a number of things. Internationally, they are working with countries that have oil and gas resources, providing them with loans in exchange for energy. The Chinese call this their Loan for Energy program. Uh, For example, recently, Nigeria's presidential advisor for energy indicated that Chinese companies have proposed investing $50 billion in exchange for 6 billion barrels of oil reserves. They are also investing in oil and gas pipelines and in liquefied natural gas terminals. Oil pipelines are being built from Russia and Kazakhstan into China. They've already built LNG terminals in China, and others are currently under construction. Domestically, they're also building coal, nuclear, hydro, wind, and solar plants to ensure that they will have enough electricity to fuel their economy. Reports are that they're building two plants a week. Well, why does China need to look outside its own borders for oil and natural gas at this point? Well, that's because China is not endowed with much oil and gas resources. Regarding oil, China has 16 billion barrels of reserves, which is about 1.2% of the world total, and that's according to the Oil and Gas Journal. With respect to natural gas, they have about 80 trillion cubic feet of reserves, or about 1.3% of the world's total. China is now the world's largest market for automobiles. They've surpassed the United States, and they need petroleum to fuel those vehicles. They rely mainly on coal. About 70% of their energy comes from coal. And China is well endowed with coal reserves. It ranks third after the U.S. and Russia in coal reserves, and they have about 14% of the world's total. Now, Mary, you've written in a recent blog post that the atmosphere is ripe for Chinese firms to invest in energy resources right now. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yes, the fact is that the global recession has spurred opportunities, and the Chinese are taking advantage of them. Oil prices are lower now than they were early and mid-2008, and that makes asset prices lower, and that favors acquisitions. The Chinese are also less constrained than many of their international counterparts on where they can invest. For example, they can invest in Iran. And also, financing is not an issue since the Chinese banks are willing and able to provide funds. Where is China buying oil and natural gas assets right now? I've already mentioned that they're purchasing them in Nigeria and Iran, but there are other places that they've either made deals or in the process of making deals. They include Iraq, Kazakhstan, Venezuela, Argentina, Russia, and Brazil. For example, um, they've lent Brazil $10 billion to further its offshore exploration in return for 160,000 barrels per day. They've also lent Russian companies $25 billion to supply about 300,000 barrels per day from fields in East Siberia. 
and they've contributed $8 billion to Venezuela in exchange for increasing Venezuelan exports to China by 650,000 barrels per day. They're interested in oil sands in Canada, which we're currently importing, but policies in the United States may limit those imports, such as a low-carbon fuel standard or a cap-and-trade bill. They're also looking into uh, leases in the Gulf of Mexico. Devon Energy is looking to sell some leases that they have there, and the Chinese are interested in purchasing those. Well, how do China's investments in oil and natural gas then compare with America's energy plans? Uh, the U.S. strategy is one for energy security and environmental protection, but we're looking towards energy independence through conservation and renewable technologies, particularly wind and solar power. And we're slowing down development of our oil and gas resources. During 2008, when oil prices were over $150 a barrel and gasoline prices were over $4 a gallon, we emphasized offshore drilling and developing our shale oil resources, which are vast. We have over 2.5 trillion barrels of shale oil. But these activities have been slowed or limited. Well, can you explain how these things have uh, been slowed down and, and uh, what the administration has done to perhaps change the focus of energy policy recently? Sure. Let me give you some examples. Early in February, the Department of Interior rescinded 77 oil and gas leases in Utah. Later in October, um, they announced that they would lease 17 of them. Again in February, the Department of Interior delayed for six months the development of a new five-year drilling program for offshore oil and gas. Then, towards the end of February, the Department of Interior canceled a new round of commercial-scale research development leases in Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah for shale oil. Then, towards the end of October, they issued a new program that decreased lease acreage by 87% and provided very difficult timelines for investing in new research. Another example is that the Omnibus Public Lands Management Act was signed in March, and that prohibited energy production in over 3 million acres of federal lands. The administration seems to be focusing on wind and solar as primary energy sources for the future here in the United States. What do you think about that? Well, first of all, wind and solar are generating technologies, and they can't replace petroleum in their industrial and transportation uses. Further, wind and solar have low capacity factors compared to other traditional technologies such as coal, gas, and nuclear. And as a result, you need more installations of them to get the same amount of energy. And that requires more land usage. And they're more expensive than traditional coal and, and gas technologies. They can also cause instability on the grid, particularly with wind. And that's because we can't predict exactly when wind's going to blow. There are those that say that building more solar and wind facilities will help to create jobs in the United States and lessen our energy dependence on other countries. What do you say? Well, most of the jobs that they've created are during the construction phase, and thus they're temporary jobs. Most of the component parts that are being made are being made offshore. Uh, let's take, for example, a recent solar farm that was built in Florida. That farm had 400 people working during the construction phase that took less than a year. But the component parts were made elsewhere. The solar panels were made in the Philippines. The steel structures were made in Canada. And the electrical components were made in Germany. Um, GE, for example, is building 
plants in China and elsewhere in Asia that are making many of the component parts for wind turbines. One more question for you, Mary. How concerned do you think Americans should be today about our future energy supplies when one considers that China is investing in oil and natural gas in our own backyard while the U.S. is delaying domestic production? I think Americans should be concerned. The Chinese realize that in order to fuel their economy that they need affordable energy. That's also true for the U.S. We need all forms of energy. And as you can see, the Chinese are making it a priority to build generating plants and to get oil and gas resources offshore. And they're doing that without legal or administration delays. You've given us a lot of food for thought today, Mary. Thank you so much for joining us today on Energy Tomorrow Radio. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.